Welcome to What's in the Box, the show about Panthers, Afrofuturism, and nothing else. Tristan, how you doing, buddy? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Cool, man. Welcome to the show, guys. This week, we're going to be talking about Black Panther. <laughs> Black Panther! But first, we're going to start with some news. Actually, I was going to hark back to something we were talking about last week that's been sort of bugging me. Yeah. You know, we were talking about there's that random, like, shitty bit of narration in Avatar. What, the... Yeah, yeah, you the, said the there was, fit, like, the one bit at the start. Yeah, the one bit that's almost quite noirish thing where he's talking about, you know, my brother was killed just for the paper in his wallet. Yeah. And then the narration, I don't think, comes back. Like no. at any point, and it just really jars. And it's trying to develop Sam Worthington's character, isn't it? It's well, like, no, it's trying to make the point that Sam Worthington was a twin of somebody else. Oh, is that what it says? Yeah, like it's what? really clunky and horrible. Yeah, okay. Um, so I was thinking, like, the best narration, like, lots of people will say narration is lazy writing. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. It depends Ooh, on the McKay. context, it depends on the context and yeah. how it's being used. But I was, I was just thinking, like, you could. You could easily put, have put that into the dialogue. You mean like um, show rather than tell? Well, no, because you t- in a way, but I mean, because you are still technically telling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, right, then how, think, how could they have done that better then? Well, because what I was thinking is Sam Worthington's arriving as an outsider, yeah? Yeah. So they've just come out of cryosleep. So you can, right, so imagine this scene. Uh, they've just got out of cryosleep. They're in the medical bay. Oh. There's loads of, he's being poked and prodded by doctors because they've been in hypersleep. And through this kind of blur of people around him, he can see someone in the corner of the room that's properly staring at him. I mean, everyone else is, is around him and looking at him, but this person sees him. Yeah. Yeah. And you could do it with an exchange, something like you could look up at this person and go like, you're staring at me. Mm. And you, and we'll say it's a she for the sake of argument. She goes, I'm sorry, we work together. Your brother, I mean, you look just like him. She gets closer to him then and examines him almost like the other people are like, I'm nervingly close. And she sort of says, it's uncanny, identical, right down to your DNA. And he goes, well, except for this, like taps his wheelchair. She goes, well, maybe we can do something about that. Your brother and I, we were working on something very special for him. Come with me. What happened to your brother was tragic, like etc. etc. Yeah, you can yeah, maybe no, say, yeah, yeah. you yeah, maybe yeah. throw in a little bit about what happened to him, but yeah, yeah. with, my, excuse the very poor read, but what I think you kind of get with that is all the salient details. You've got across the fact that, what do you need to say? You need to say that it was a project that was for his brother. Yep. The reason he can do it or the, is because he's a twin. Yes. He's identical to him in every way. So he's, that's why they've picked him instead of some other random scientist. Yep. You know, you can throw in the fact that, or you throw in why his brother's not doing it, his brother's dead, yeah. um, and what it's going to mean to the character because he's in a wheelchair and he's going to be able, you'll see later that he'll be able to walk again. Yeah. Oh my God, you just fixed Avatar. I did, I fixed Avatar. That's what What's in a Box is all about. <laughs> I fixed Avatar yes. in a minute. Yeah, obviously that's, <laughs> I totally agree with you. That's, that's the bad idea version of that conversation, but that shows how easily it could have been done if they just put a moment's thought into it. Yeah. So we should we should try and facilitate this to our James Cameron episode or put it as like a bonus episode <laughs> or bonus feature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Annihilation's coming out very soon. Yeah, is that Alex Garland? It is Alex Garland. It's right. got a really weird setup in that it's coming out in North America. What? At the cinema. Phew. But it's coming straight to Netflix everywhere else in the world. Oh, I didn't know that was only North America. No, neither did I until I was reading today. So, what's um, going on with that, then, mate? That's pure fear. That's ah, Studio Fear. Yeah. Okay. 
Why? What's they, the what they're scared about? Well, because it tested as uh, too smart. Uh. Basically, like I don't see how that's a threat, but it tested as you know you had to pay too much attention to it. It was too cerebral. Oh no 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 no! no. Okay, right. So what is this? This is the latest. This is a science fiction film by Alex Garland, who well he directed Ex Machina. Yep. Which was well wrote and directed Ex Machina, but yeah. then has written like The, the Beach, Beach Twenty Eight Days Later. Yeah. The positive comments that have been coming out of the film is it's just got this unnerving, nail biting quality to it. Mm, all right. Okay. It's got all the things that you as an intelligent film go would want to see in a horror movie yes. so for example it's got intelligent people making smart decisions in the situation like Prometheus just like Prometheus yeah but the shit's still hitting the fan yeah like, I'm still being outwitted or outsmarted because they're up against something that they don't know or understand right okay that's, that's all I've got but it's on Netflix don't even have to go to the cinema to see this one and this could turn the tide a little bit for Netflix okay. because they're getting slammed for the films that they're buying in yeah like what Cloverfield Cloverfield Paris Hey mate, I watched that. And rubbish. Next, bright. It was rubbish. Yeah, it's weird. Bright. No, I haven't seen bright. Cloverfield Paradox. I don't know what that what the deal with that is, mate. It's like a repurposed script from a script bin somewhere. You think it was literally they just slapped Cloverfield? I thought it it was. Yeah, I thought that was the that was the deal with it. Like legitimately, I thought that they had found the script. What I felt with Cloverfield Drive. Yeah, because I thought I think that's a great film. I I really enjoyed that. It's the type Mm. of film I would I would actually like to make. Yeah, Yeah, but that felt like okay. In order to give this some visibility, yeah, we'll just make it part of Cloverfield and that means people that normally wouldn't see that type of film would be like oh I like Cloverfield you know and go it was a tactical move I mean to be fair it didn't really work in that film either did it like didn't need didn't really need the Cloverfield part of that film for no it could film. St- it could still have been aliens at the end but it didn't have to be tied into everything because the nice the interesting part I thought with that film was the fact that the dude wasn't lying in the end yeah 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 um, but the difference between 12 Cloverfield Lane and Clo- the Cloverfield Paradox is bad writing because it is written like shit I've heard some awful awful things something to do with an arm yeah it's still in in like draft stages basically so you've got kind of half-baked ideas in there that you know just aren't fully realised is it better or worse than this podcast it's, no it's better than this podcast this is this is barely half baked yeah so it just doesn't quite work and you, it sets itself up as a kind of event horizon in space which is really exciting right but then it kind of abandons that and becomes a sort of trashy nonsense flick yeah it doesn't know what it wants to be and it sort of um, doesn't offer anywhere near like a coherent plot and the characters are weird do I actually well. have to watch it I want you to watch it because, you know, I think I think actually it, you can get a lot out of it in terms of what a bad film looks like and therefore what good film should look like as well. So it's, it's good in terms of that. It's good as a lesson in like poor filmmaking and learning from the, someone else's mistakes, which is a shame, man. And I hate the uh, monster from Cloverfield. I've always thought it looked rubbish. <laughs> yes, I remember you weird like ears on it and stuff. That's not scary. But, um, yeah, watch it and be disappointed. And then tell me how disappointed you were. We promised somebody that we would actually do an episode on Point Break, the new version of Point Break. I'd just like to let <laughs> him know that is never going to happen. <laughs> hey, mate, guess what I'm up to uh, in May? You're going to the secret cinema, yes. Blade Runner, aren't you? Yes, I am. I can't think of a worse way of spending an evening. Yeah, I'm in two minds about this, mate. <laughs> well, no, you're going to love it. You're going to love every second of it. It's going to be amazing. What yeah, are you talking about? Yeah, but the problem is, one... Um, I really don't want to see Blade Runner ever again. And two, 
I've got to go and see Blade Runner again. But you get to dress up. You get to you get to actually be a part. It's going to be awesome. That part of it is going to be amazing. The pre-film, anything outside the film, I'm really looking forward to. Like a little noodle bar with like fake rain and then like some fucking futuristic like loads of neon. neon and yeah, like loads of neon and like transparent umbrellas. Yeah, I'm well up for that. Okay. Um, oh, mate, the roadside noodle bar will be spectacular. I'm well up you for that. You know there's going to be one of those cars <laughs> flying around as well. Yes, there will. And they'll do some sort of, I don't know, little set pieces and stuff like that. I'm up for that bit. But, oh my God, I, I think I promised, my, I might have seen Blade Runner more than any of the film. Bizarrely, more than any of the film. I don't know, I might have watched it about 11 times or some stuff like that. 11 times. Is that what you consider a lot for watching the same film? For that fucking film it is. I mean, like, in full. And I think after about the fourth time, I promised myself I'd never watch this again. And that's your, your definition of a lot of a lot and more than any other film is 11 times. That's making me feel like I'm mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> because I know how many times I've seen, like, fucking hell. I mean, it's 28 days later alone, I've seen more than 11 times. Yeah, but, like, well, I mean, I defy anyone to, to watch Blade Runner more than, like, three times before saying, no, that is enough. That's um, fair enough. I did stop after one. Oh, I'm going to be dressed up like one of the characters as well. Oh, God. What's that look like? Oh, my God, such a drag. A long coat. I found a dude who can 3D print you one of the weapons for, oh. for 35 quid if you want to spend that. It'd be really good. I've just bought a lightsaber from yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, yeah, go on then. I'll do Check that. it out. I'll send you a link. Okay, sweet. Okay, let's move on to the main event. What? what? Have you got more news? Yeah, what about okay. Altered Carbon on Netflix? Oh, God. <laughs> it's basically Blade Runner again. So, yeah, what I like about it... Is, is it all, that every frame's so dense? Oh, it is quite dense. Isn't it? Mm, sort of, yeah. But not really. Like, it's... Okay, yeah. Right, I I'll mean, tell you... Okay. It's, it's, it's a world building. It's, it's yeah, not bad. Yeah, the that frames kept were, me, got the me frames through the first 60 minutes. The frames dense as the drama is vacuous. Yeah, it is. Have you seen it as I well? I don't give a... F- I tapped out I tapped out after the first 10 minutes okay then I went back and thought I'll give this a second chance because people are talking like people are talking up and really enjoying it and I got to the end of the second episode so oh god I don't care there's it looks phenomenal it's beautiful it's a, a vision of the future we've not quite seen before everything looks awesome I don't give a shit about anybody yeah I quite like that sort of wishy-washy film noir narrative uh, I quite enjoy seeing like future stuff as well like Blade Runner-esque things um, as long as it's not Blade Runner again because um, you know, I've got that coming up seriously when they re- every single cut of that film they've released I've had to watch it and I've said never again and then they release another cut I've got to go and see it and the dad's on about it he loves it so let's talk about should we talk about Wakanda what's that is that the fictional Afrofuturist vision of uh, Marvel's new Black Panther film the initial setup it feels like what you'd expect you know 3.8 stars you go in and there's a certain level there's a certain level of of entertainment and I'm like okay I'm here it's good but I don't expect it to get any better than this okay yeah and then we're going to spoil the shit out of this anyway. But then when they get back to Wakanda, yep. and I was going to say his name's not fucking Killalot, is it? Kill. Killalot. <laughs> yeah, his name's uh, Sir Killalot from Robot Wars <laughs> yeah. on BBC Two. <laughs> they wheel him out. What's his <laughs> name? He just like flaps around. Like kill, cra- kill crazy. Oh, no, that's no, he's Red Dwarf. Fallen, he's fallen What's on his, his back. When Michael B. Jordan, when K- Killmonger, but when Killmonger comes in and kills Gollum, 
Yeah. When, Kill, when, Killmonger, when Killmonger shoots Gollum. <laughs> yes. Leaving Bilbo free to do whatever he wants. Oh, oh shit, I didn't realise that. <laughs> oh, shit. I did not even... I now remember what, what, what the was. What? Upstairs, I've got a list of all the cast that, with their name, their African names, oh, and then Bilbo, and then, <laughs> and then Bilbo, Bilbo and Gollum. Gollum. That was good. Yeah. That was a good intro. That we should have done that. Yeah, we should have um, done yeah, that. So anyway, when... Oh, but I totally fucking didn't, didn't get Bilbo and Gollum because Martin Freeman's you, horrible Brooklyn accent. Because you forgot... He's not from Brooklyn. Yeah, just as a generic Brooklyn, like all British actors just default to like terrible Brooklyn. He doesn't sound shy. like he's from Brooklyn. He's like, at all. Well, what's going on here? That was that was surreal. That was better than Freeman. So when Killmonger kills Gollum, you're like, okay, this. I thought the whole film was going to be about the MacGuffin of getting the vibranium back. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was the setup of the whole film. Yeah, and it's not. And that's when it elevates itself, and I think it becomes more Shakespearean than Ooh. Marvel because it's about somebody finding their place being king yes. and a hero yeah, this, you know there are similarities between those two roles yeah. in a romanticised way but that's when it really gripped me I was like okay this is different I'm in what they managed to do is they managed to do an origin story without an origin story I was going to say that's this, one of the things that these ensemble films and a kind of cinematic universe allows is better storytelling it's like without having to waste time uh, investing in learning about a, a hero's origin right the genius of having all these films and the way they're set up is that Spider-Man's and Black Panther's origin stories were in previous films through their cameos and we don't have to get bogged down in that shit so um, I thought you know I, I really appreciate that we don't have to look and compare this to Sony rebooting Spider-Man like how many fucking times are we going to see him go to school and then start like beating up the bully again by his lockers like stop doing that like, fucking get it like no one's blind it's the same fans the same people are queuing up again to see this shit they're not stupid but it's great storytelling that you can just try, dive straight into it I'm was still there like they gave, you, they gave the you a, a history of Wakanda in, in the form of a story to a young boy and, but they did it in the space of like three minutes at the titles yeah, yeah. You know, which was fantastic and then you come into it and we get a bit of in a flashback we get a bit of background as to what yeah. Wakanda is and the Black Panther is and then we just kind of get straight into it and that yeah. was amazing and it was refreshing but the thing is it is an origin story though isn't it but it's, it's not an origin story for the hero. It's an origin story for the villain. If you think about the way that that story's told, you get to see him as a kid, you get to see the reason why he is who he is, and then you get to see him as a as, a, as an antagonist as well. You know, you understand that guy, the antagonist's motives mm. in a lot more detail than you do with a lot of other Marvel villains. Mm. Ant-Man, I'm looking at you. And he's not black and white as well. The, the, it has in his motivation. Yeah. For like he, yeah, it's complex. The film awards the villain character a lot more backstory than it does the protagonist. We've seen it in a previous film, whatever, whatever it was, the Avengers thing with when Ant-Man grows big. Civil War, oh. we obviously see um, the hero's father be killed and we revisit that in this. So, you know, obviously that gives us something... A little bit more depth for the hero character, but the villain in this is a much more complex character than the hero. It, it was actually a joy to see a good villain in a Marvel film again. Yeah. Because you know, they're few and far between. Because they've been Loki and like, that's it. Yeah, and then He's they the dialed that down there, didn't they? Like, he was the villain in the first 
Thor film and he was a villain in the first Avengers film wasn't he but since then yeah his character's changed and these are been well they've up. given him an arc but he's not really a kind of the same like a villainous figure anymore no is but he? he's a mischievous yeah not that sort of like trickery and all that but he's not the kind of world eating monster that no. Marvel seems to be obsessed with no but that's what they've they've unleashed they've unleashed and they listened the purple headed warrior no but you know what I mean they've unleashed that purple CGI'd madness <laughs> and, yeah, his gu- and his gauntlet he's coming yeah well he is the world eater I think we'll get to talk about that in a bit but what is in terms of movie villains Killmonger in this one how does he sort of rank for you amongst like recent comic book villains I just think he's the most standout that there's been so far yeah maybe Marvel I think he's probably the best comic book villain since Magneto I forgot about Magneto he was good as well Chris McQuarrie rewrote uh, X-Men yeah because originally they had a draft by uh, Ed Solomon which was apparently a very good kind of popcorn movie Um, but when they brought in Chris McQuarrie he said well what if mutants were real and then gave Magneto this idea of growing up, like losing his parents in the concentration camp. And, yeah, no, of and, and Yeah, and, and all that stuff and rooting not only the origin of his powers in that story, but also his his concept of, I've seen what discri- the lengths discrimination can be taken to and I won't allow it to happen again, mm, which, yeah. was a, which was an incredibly smart move. You, t- you talk about like origin stories of, of villains, so Magneto then and the Holocaust, and in this film, I think two really great ways of showing how the villain has been affected like great economical storytelling especially in the first X-Men you know oh, like, was, uh, happy picture. almost in tears yeah man what's it's so incredible. Like, describe that what's what's happening then they're at the gates of a concentration camp and they're being separated they're separating the children from the adults Magneto as oh, it Eric isn't it yeah his name gets, Eric Lencher yeah. gets pulled away from his parents and in his bid to try and get back to them he starts reaching for them yeah. and it starts slowly bending down parts of the gate the the top of the gate starts folding guards come to try and stop him they're in the rain so it's muddy the guards can't hold him back and he actually they all slide then towards the gate Mm. Uh, and it's just got this wonderful bassy noise and one of the guards they can't stop him so they hit the kid with the butt of his rifle Mm. and when the guard turns around to look up at what's happened you know the gate's almost folded in half and it's just his his powers come from this place of pure anxiety and pain mm, yeah yeah it's given birth to it and, it and then it leads nicely into the next scene explaining about heightened emotion and where you know powers come from yeah for mutants and, was, and also like this this villain this uh, Killmonger character I think has quite a lot in common with that Magneto character as well firstly in the fact that they're kind of dark mirrors of their um, opposites well that's one thing that a, a good antagonist should be mm. I think they've got to be so if you look at you know, Batman Batman's the obvious answer because Batman's pure control and the Joker is absolute chaos yes uh, Robin Hood is selfless whereas the Sheriff of Nottingham is selfish yeah you know and it's, it's simple things like that what about Will Scarlet mate what about Will Scarlet he was jealous of him he was totally Do jealous he, yeah. he, he tricked him he double crossed him Fuck me, they made it. You mentioned the Joker. Those three, so you got the Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker, mm. Magneto, and then uh, this one. What's his name? 
Eric Killmonger? Eric Killmonger. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to be that, is Imagine it? Imagine bringing him home. It is Eric Killmonger. It is, yes. It's actually, it's, it's Eric Killmonger. <laughs> yeah, I think three standout villains in, yeah. you know, uh, so Eric, Eric, and the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's quite quite moving seeing it from the from a kid's perspective, like what they show in this film, what um, part because of what creates the villain. Normally, the, the, the dead father is what causes, or dead parent is what causes the hero to rise. Yeah, it? that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it kind of, and it does. It's a, both of, both of the, the, the hero and the villain in this film, Black Panther, they, they both have that happen, don't they? They both lose their fathers. But again, it's that dark mirror. Like one of them loses him in, but one in of them a takes totally it, different, one in of them a more take, noble yeah, way. Black Panther t- loses his father and takes on the mantle of the Black Panther as tradition. Yeah. And, it's, and his, entitled, his entitlement. Yeah. And whereas the other one is molded into well eventually ends up molding himself yes he takes it by force yeah. right but that the shots of a, of a of like a young boy staring up at the sky and seeing like the the kind of light the halo of a spaceship like that's pretty there's some really great visuals in this and he looks up at it and then he realizes that something's gone wrong and he goes in the flashback scenes um, where the Killmonger character revisits that space and then confronts his father in a mirror of the of T'Challa the hero confronting his his dad you get like a, a, a scene that's it's probably one of the most affecting scenes for me that I've seen um, in cinema let alone a Marvel film you know you're talking about like um, moonlight levels of character development in the scene where he confronts his father and he basically becomes his younger self and you, and you see a conversation between a boy and his dad and the dad turns to him and says no matter how evil you are and all of the destruction that you have caused and are about to cause why haven't you shed a single tear for me yet i mean that's fucking moving that shit is gold, mate. And that's in a Marvel film. Well, so leads, fucking kudos. It leads me on to something. There isn't... Nobody is a waste of space in this film. The cast are sublime. Yeah, yeah. Their performances, casting. in fact, it's probably got the best performances mm. of any Marvel film as well. It's, just, it's, a, it's massively a celebration of Pan-African culture. But of course, it, it was always going to be, right? And that, I guess, is partly um, responsible for the film's resonance and why it's smashing records. It's so empowering for women as well. Did you notice what there, all they have is warriors? Yeah, There's yeah, no yeah. man-woman divide in that at all, all the women. And it's mm. never mentioned, it's never picked up on, you know, first you had Wonder Woman, now we had this. Yeah. And this was, again, like I kept looking across at Mish and she's just got this big grin on her face every time a woman's beating the shit out of somebody. Yeah, there's some fucking really good tight action sequences in this, isn't there? Um, the, I don't know why films are obsessed with going to cinemas, like Star Wars, cinemas, fuck. I don't know why films are obsessed with going fucking casinos, mate. Like, <laughs> let's just go to another casino. Because <laughs> I know there's glam. like a, It's meant to be the glam part. Have you ever been to a casino, though? <laughs> yes, They're I have, mate. Rancid. Mate, you're getting Napoleons in Sheffield, right? <laughs> <laughs> you get free food after midnight. Mind you, to be, <laughs> to be fair, the level of casino you or I would go to was probably not quite, you know, Montenegro or... 50p roulette. <laughs> Can't be wrong. The casino scene's good. I did expect to see James Bond. It was very something. James Bond, it wasn't was it? so Skyfall. Do, it was do, unreal. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Some fantastic, amazingly choreographed action, though. It's not quite the chateau scene from The Matrix, but it's uh, it's nearly there, isn't it? But do you know what I mean? Like, long um, it single very, takes. It was ostensibly very, a single take. <clears throat> yeah, it was very blurry, though. That annoyed me. They did the C 
CGI blurriness. This doesn't look quite. I think, and this is this is cynical, but it's like uh, we can't quite make this look right. Just put a bit of motion blur on it. What do you mean in the um, the somersaults and flips and stuff like like in that scene or in general? Just. In general, yeah, okay. In general, but it came out most in the car chase after it. I, I find myself less impressed with amazing acrobatical feats now mm. because the, you don't have a sense of like, <gasps> whoa, because yeah. you just know flat out it's not real. It's where the Matrix fell down was when they abandoned wire work and then went to CGI and it looked shite, which it does in this film as well. Like when you get the two CGI pamphlet characters mm. fighting each other it just looks bollocks um, but with the wire work stuff in like that casino scene fantastic really good like long takes um, and then uh, I thought it was a really inventive car chase mm. afterwards you know where she's driving it from whatever like remotely yeah. that's good we haven't seen that before no we haven't seen that before at all this again there's this, this technologically technologically advanced race yeah when she, she slaps the disc on the car I'm like, what the hell is going on virtual piloting oh my god and it actually yeah this is good there's that's no great. danger for her whatsoever yeah but yeah, she yeah. has got her brother like resting on the top of the car so it still works yeah because and anything she does has a consequence yes that's right and andy circus was a joy in this film mate. Andy circus was brilliant it was so nice to he was actually, loving it, it was so nice to be able to see his face yeah that's right um, he's behind a CGI 8 face and he scared me as well mm. he's that kind of dude that you think oh my god if I met you in a pub I would stay the fuck away from you yeah he's a villain in his own right isn't he he's more than just a henchman but that's what's he so great does it so well when he dies yeah you, you don't that's that's the flip part of the film for me because I didn't see that coming at all yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like okay I didn't see Killmonger's betrayal or it certainly didn't see it at that point in the film and then you're like okay shit reassess like what is this film about did people applaud at the end of your screening uh yes i think so yeah they did they yeah i mean it was just, it was a um there's only about 12 people in it but yeah. okay oh mine was the screen was rammed was it yeah mind you i went on like 11 40 on a sunday but um what a night no in the morning that's just weird who's awake at 11 40 get out of the way you know what i mean what's how would you rate forrest whistaker's performance in this compared to that terrible performance he gave in that star wars film he's totally redeemed he is isn't he yeah, yeah. i thought you could <laughs> Was a ghost dog. I thought you were going to say his performance in the crying game. Jesus, crying game. Mate, what makes a great villain? Okay. I have no idea. Okay. But I think we can get to an answer together. Okay, so I've got three categories here. Um, and they are... Okay, their reason for being bad and what they're trying to do. So that's the first category. Okay. We're gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw some villain names at you, well, and, I think you and you're gonna tell me what these are, right? Mm -hmm. So the first one is reasons for being bad and what they're trying to do. For instance, Loki from the Thor films. Mm -hmm. Is jealous of his brother yep. more than anything else. I think he's, he's trying to take over Asgard and he, rule well, he's it. Trying to rule, it, he's it? trying to rule Asgard, but he's yeah. also trying to teach Thor, teach Thor that he's better than him or smarter than him. Yeah, so it's like he's jealous because he's not... should have chose me. Yeah, he's jealous because he's not the preferred child yeah. he, and he hates Thor and he wants to take over Asgard and rule it. How do their actions change the narrative? Uh, Vulture, Spider-Man Homecoming. Why is he a bad guy? What made well, he wouldn't bad? say he wouldn't say he's bad, which is one thing that I really like yeah. about any villain's backstory. Like, it's, again, it's another reason coming back to Game of Thrones. It's another mm. reason why I love that because there's nobody in that who's clean. Mm. Like, they're all bad 
in some respect, but they've all got good reasons for doing what they do. And, and what is that? Them, what the, makes them complex? So what? So in terms of that, what is the what for is Vulture, his reason for Vulture's doing what reason he does? is to protect. He says it point blank is to protect his family. He's doing it to raise money. Yeah. That's all he's doing. He's raising money. So therefore, and what? He, what? He, sorry, and I. I get the feeling that he was honest at the beginning. He was an honest businessman at the beginning of that film as well. Yes, yeah, so relatively. What, what, yeah, what was he doing before? Like they were clean, Stark ruined everything. They were cleaning up all the alien tech. Yeah, yeah. And that was all they were doing. Yeah. And they were disposing of it, um, and they'd seen loads of it, and they were actually trying to. They actually wanted to try and help. Mm. I think when the government come in to close them down, yeah, they actually they say categorically that they've seen so much of this stuff they can be of use, they can help, mm. and they just get shut down and pushed out. Yeah. And that's the point where... And that's his business gone. That's his business that's gone because he's... for his family. Yeah. And it's... And whose fault is it? But Starks. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. So, 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 so he's actually motivation, made, right? Okay, so you've got almost Batman creating the Joker, which yeah, only happened in that film, but still. So you've got a clear like, motive for him being bad. Um, and you know what he's trying to do, right? He's got... He's, there's motivation that governs his actions. Mm. He's trying to support his family. He hates... Tony Stark and I guess anything associated with him so the wider Avengers and therefore Spider-Man falls into that too so yeah because with Venom as yeah well. with well, Venom as well with Venom as a bad guy because um, Peter Parker yeah, although yeah. Eddie Brock is a bad dude yeah. like he's dirty Spider-Man's the one that causes him to you know lose his flat his apartment his health etc and then when the symbiont comes along mm. it amplifies the rage and hate that he's already got for Peter Parker so going back to Vulture so if we know what drives them how do their actions change the narrative so what do they do that actually changes the course of the film does he does uh, Michael Keaton's Vulture character actually affect anything or is he just in the background doing something that no one cares about part of that story is Peter is wanting to be uh, taken seriously by Tony Stark and by yes. Hep. Yeah, and yeah. he's already pushed it too far. He's had his suit taken off him. Yeah, and then he learns that this person he's been following, he learns who he is and the heist that he's trying to pull, mm. and goes to try and stop. Well, he actually causes. Okay, so he causes Peter Parker to grow and learn that he can. F he can. Mm. He doesn't need the suit. Yeah, so he drags the Peter Park the hero mm. into his own narrative doesn't he his actions cause the hero to um, be affected by him he like attracts the hero I don't think he drags Peter into his narrative I think he attracts him I think there's a difference for example when Joe Chill kills Bruce Wayne's parents is that his name Joe Chill yeah <laughs> it really is yeah. Joe Chill mate yeah when Joe Chill kills Bruce Wayne's parents he pulls him into the narrative he changes his life yeah. Yeah, which is not the same as Peter Parker wanting to prove himself and going after. You're right. This it's is not, on a scale that there is that there's, there's, there's totally, two different. totally different. But things. um but the point is like his actions mean that the hero has to get involved with him, right? No, I don't think so. I don't it's not something that's happening to Peter. Peter is caught he's not even caught in the wake of it. He just chooses to go and do this thing because he has to and because he's not be because he's not being listened to. Well basically we're following as a you know a uh, an audience we're following the hero aren't we? It's you their have to story. Think of like uh, uh, what are we? Yeah, like on. we're following the hero aren't we? Yeah. So where, where, wherever he goes we go with him. We follow him into the um, the villain's story as well. Okay, so how so again with the vulture how do their actions change the hero? 
or affects the hero. Peter grows because of that, doesn't he? He grows because of that confrontation because he hasn't got the suit. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's part of his rite of passage, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. He has to prove to Tony Stark that he's worthy of joining the Avengers or worthy of the suit or whatever. So he, he becomes part of his training. Tony Stark says it point blank as well. Like, you couldn't do it without the suit. You shouldn't be wearing it or something. But also, doesn't he threaten to... I mean, he threatens to expose Peter Parker's identity. Yeah, because he... Threatens he kn- to kill everybody. He threatens to kill everybody. Yeah, okay, so he puts him at risk or he puts the people that he cares about at risk. Yeah. That's because, another- that's, because that's what he sees Peter is doing to him. Yes. Because you're threatening my family, I'm going to threaten your family. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot that we know, like, about the character's reason for being evil and no, the fact that they don't see evil. it as being evil at all. They're not necessarily being evil. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So there's a motivation for doing something that he believes is righteous, mm-hmm. which is exactly the same with Killmonger villain in this, right? Okay. I've got a question for you because when, yeah. when we were thinking about this, my immediate thought was, oh, I love complex villains. I love villains who aren't necessarily villains and you can see where they're coming from and stuff like that. Yeah. They're not just evil moustache twirling villains. And then I thought to myself, but fuck, I love Emperor Palpatine. I love him. And he's, he's so deliciously evil for the sake of it. He has no character development whatsoever. He is just pantomime evil. Yeah. I love it. But, re- but really, if you took away Darth Vader he would be a terrible villain and it would be awful. So he's more of like an Andy Serkis character in this, right? He's more, the, the Emperor is more, is way more of a sidekick than he is a, the kind of headline only villain. Of, only in terms of screen time. No, but it's it really, the, the, the villain of Star Wars is um, Darth Vader, right? You care, you care about him and then the Emperor just pops up now and again. Um, yeah, but the Emperor's the most evil thing. Yeah, and I know. He's so watchable. Yeah. Ian McDiarmid in that is incredible. Is, and I yeah. love that. And there's no depth to that character whatsoever. Yeah. But again, take remove Darth Vader from, from all of those scenes mm-hmm. and just have Luke, Luke Hamill. Luke Hamill. <laughs> but, this, that's not, that, but that's not what we're talking... That was awful. But this isn't what we're talking about. I'm talking about how that I think that I love villains with depth and complexity. And then I realise that, hang on, this one, this one doesn't fit that mould. And I love it so much. Yeah, okay. But I do think that, that it only works, though, if you have a complex villain alongside them. But I mean, Vader, Because what you then get are the Vader? bad Marvel villains, like the guy, like the bad guy from Ant-Man. Or... Yeah, he's just... He really... Yeah. Or Kate Blanchett's character from Thor. Their way around that is she was born evil. She was the goddess of death. Well, what, That's what, what she's supposed to What are her to reasons do. for being bad? No, like, there's, there's none. That's what she does. She is death. Is there something about her and Odin like it's got like Lucifer connotations to it like the fallen angel yeah okay but is she just evil or is she trying to get revenge or is she just doing a job that's her role she's yeah. death I'm sure that's what it which is which I guess isn't a bad thing um, so her reason for being bad is that she was born bad yeah um, and what's she trying to do destroy she's trying to bring about Ragnarok right she's yeah. trying to bring the end, about of, the end of Asgard or the end of the gods mm. okay so that's good I think that's good that's like clear motivation um, like the desire to create destruction so then how do her actions change the narrative she, she teaches Thor that he can be a god she reminds him that he's a god not the hammer yes isn't it again it's like believe in yourself not the tool so she so she kind of she breaks his hammer doesn't she and she, yeah. she te- I guess she teaches him that he's got he can be more powerful he's got extra powers Look or something for the hero inside yourself 
Um, yeah, but she says, remind, she, at one point she says, remind me, what are you the god of again? And then it's like, oh shit, thunder and lightning. Fuck! How do her actions change him then? I guess this just, part, that's part the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. But now how do they affect the world? She gets that giant lava monster to start blowing well, she up she does Asgard. bring about Ragnarok, doesn't she? Then maybe she's a good villain. I don't think so. Uh, well, she I does, wasn't really affected by it. I wasn't, but she does achieve her goal and she does end up... All the Asgardians are like now member of, members of endangered species. I mean, they're just in a caravan. There's like eight of them, isn't there? There's like eight <laughs> extras <laughs> repurposed. Like skeletons in one scene. <laughs> like in robes for another scene. But um, I think the reason that we don't give a shit about that character... I mean, do you give a shit about that character? I don't, but I did enjoy watching... Like, I enjoyed watching a performance. Yeah, but it wasn't... But there's um, nothing about the character It didn't really resonate, though, did it? Killmonger does and this, or the Joker does, or Magneto does. And I think it probably comes down to their motivation. I think when the motivation is too simplistic like hers because she's born that way she just is that's quite boring you know when you peel back the layers or, or create layers for a character then that can be peeled back then you, you know when you develop them then actually that's that's way more interesting to watch that's what you get with Magneto that's what you get with the Vulture that's what you get with Killmonger and maybe that's what you get with great on-screen villains the Joker though Heath Ledger's Joker, I think, is slightly different. In terms of origin, because I heard Jonathan Nolan talking about this, Batman's very presence creates the Joker. Yeah. Like, the fact, it's almost like physics, like one can't exist without the other. But yeah. also that the Joker doesn't, in his mind, the Joker doesn't physically exist mm. until you that first shot of him standing, waiting for the pickup, and he's carrying the mask. I mean, obviously he must do because he's already set up the heist in motion. Yeah. But he sort of says in his head, yeah. the character doesn't exist until that exact moment. It's like he suddenly comes into being. Uh, it's a physical that's... manifestation at that moment. I mean... Which I thought was really cool. That is the fucking gold standard of um, introducing a character, though, isn't it? Shit. He comes into the frame. Even though, ostensibly, he has no backstory. Mm -hmm. And he is chaos. Yeah. He represents chaos. He acts in a chaotic way. Therefore, you don't know what his motives are. I think I think they're actually you actually do know what his motives are. I think there is there is something there as well. He gives fake backstories. Doesn't yeah, but he? every time you could you could sit in a room with him for a hundred years and he would never tell you the same backstory twice. No, that's right. And they're all true. But I think that's the thing. They're all true. Yeah, or they're all false. But it doesn't matter. It creates the same effect. I think even if you fake a backstory, you still give the audience enough that it creates depth in that character because then it makes you think well okay well, what kind of a person would lie about that so it is, so it is actually um, just as tangible as whether as if you were to write a proper backstory and say that this actually happened to that character if we look at the Joker then Heath Ledger's version well first of all why are they bad because he's killing people what's he trying to do he's trying to prove that everybody can be corrupted he's trying to watch the world burn <laughs> yeah thanks My Michael Caine impression again that was great back for a second week some men <laughs> just want to watch the world I, like, I saw a, what is it? I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine that's, that's more fucking <laughs> that's that? fucking Ray Winston know, Ray Winston <laughs> shit so that's what he's trying to do he's trying to, he's trying to create chaos isn't he? he's trying yeah. to create destruction he's trying to burn things he's trying to burn everything and that's clear right so I think it's a joy to watch uh, a hero or a villain with such a clear motive how do their actions change the narrative then well he makes Batman have to make a choice a false choice between the person who's going to free Gotham City from crime Harvey Dent yep. and the woman he loves the greater good 
Yeah. Or love and freedom from being Batman. And the villain gets both, right? The villain gets both, but Batman chooses, for the first time, chooses for himself. Or am I talking out my ass? Because he's not selfless, is he? Everything he's been, everything he's ever done is about him. It's about him and his trauma as a boy. I'm not sure of that one. Somebody tell me. But he goes after Rachel or thinks he's going after Rachel. But is that the choice he makes then? He go yeah, he goes for Rachel. It's a kind of selfish rather than selfless yeah. choice, isn't it? He makes it, maybe that's the Joker's point. Well, yeah, the, the Joker's point is you, you fuck whichever one you do. Mm. So he, he kills the hero's love interest and he kills he gets the hero dies she she dies knowing that she wasn't chosen as well real world actions that affect both the narrative and the hero that's genius writing mate and that's what changes the hero as well doesn't it I mean was the first time anything he's done from the moment he decides to fight crime is the first moment that it's had consequences for somebody that he cares about and his actions create create the Joker no uh, the Joker sorry you mean the creates Harvey Dent yeah he creates two face so that's fucking genius and that's why as good as and proving the joker's point because he gets corrupted yeah it's too good the writing's just too good that's why the the magneto and killmonger in this film sadly don't come close to matching him as a villainous character because he's just just too well fucking written and that's that's an absolute joy but killmonger in this at least you get like some really fantastic storytelling excellent character development really true motives um and kind of like i think what you get with the writing in black panther and especially around the villain is he makes you kind of question whether or not he's right or not a lot of the other villains if you go back to hella Kate Kate Blanchett in whatever Thor you don't really give a fuck about questioning her her motives it's just like so she wants to destroy the world but she's got something else she's unstoppable yeah she's got the unstoppable thing which is but there's no cause that you no I mean it's not the same it's not the same as like um, it's not the same as Freddy or Jason or you know she hasn't got that that element to it yeah. she hasn't got she, she hasn't she's got the supernatural hasn't she? she hasn't got the uncanny or the scientific uncanny like the xenomorph mm. which is unstoppable yeah. kind of maybe yeah so so maybe yeah so she's kind of more monstrous then but again with uh, Killmonger it, you there was a point where you say okay so his goal is to share that um, that technology with black people around the world and you think well, okay, I, underst- I understand that. Is it a good setup for a villain if you think, had I lived his life, would I be reacting this way? Well, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, I'm I, I, I putting myself in his shoes. I was like, do you know what? I, I, I guess that is the only course of action for him. That's the change he makes because they decide at the end of this film, after seeing Killmonger, he realises that they can't be quiet anymore. They have to... Yes. They have to share what they have that's right, with the yeah. rest of the rest of the world that's right so I was going to make that point like similar to the Joker there's re- he in and how he changes the character of Batman this film and Killmonger changes the, the entire perspective and the outlook of T'Challa didn't he the Black yeah. Panther he forces him to kind of um, resign to the fact that this great technology needs to be shared 
So he has to, in a way, he, that the villain does live on outside of the narrative through the actions of the hero, who then appears in a fucking spaceship out of nowhere in a basketball court, which is fair enough. Yeah, but I love the fact that kids don't the, the kids don't run. Like imagine adults, they'd be t- they draw guns or they yeah. run, and the kids are just like, whoa, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overall, in terms of the film. It's well worth a watch. Some of my favourite scenes were, I like, I like the stuff in, in London, you know, like the heist type thing where he's just, um, where he's nicking the vibranium. Yeah, the heist in London's absolutely fantastic, especially the, uh, the, the toying. The, the Great no, British Museum or whatever it's like, it is. No, it's, the, it's a museum of Great Britain. <laughs> it's like, Fair enough. No, no, you're going to be free. You're going to survive. Go on, run away, run away. And you know he's going to shoot yeah, you Yeah, that's back. cheeky. That's delicious. That's good. When a film goes like stratospheric like this, there's a strange mix of events that need to happen for a film to become a breakout success when it wasn't expected to be Um, and I guess uh, talking about like expectations you have to go back to Marvel way back in what they call their first phase so you're talking like 10 years ago Iron Man shit no way would they have released a standalone Black Panther film maybe even three years ago um, they would not have committed the kind of budgets and whatever like they have done now. So I think fair play to Marvel for recognizing that and acting on it because they've doubled down on things like the marketing for it and they've, they've responded clearly. They've got their ears to the ground. They know how culturally significant this film will be and how much it will re- resonate with Pan-African communities around the world. So I think credit has to be given to Marvel for that. But there's a strange mix of phenomenon that makes a film like a crazy success. Like we mentioned it last episode, didn't we? Like Titanic, Full Monty. No one could have predicted that they would have been so huge. No. So why were they? No, well, if they knew that, then they'd make films like that all the time, wouldn't they? Yeah, but you can't make films. You, you, no, even if no. you know it, you can't respond to it or like Star Wars was a massive hit because all yeah. movies at that time were about anti-heroes and they were downbeat and they were realistic you know and about detectives you've got Dirty Harry and all that yeah. type of stuff you know and the French connection Late and 70s. things like that yeah and Dog Day Afternoon and mm-hmm. stuff and this Star Wars wasn't that it was different you know yeah. this is we've had 10 years of white su- of great superhero movies yeah. but the they're gleaming white. Yeah. There's a beautiful moment at the end of Black Panther where the spaceships landed in the basketball court mm. and he said that he's going to buy the building and what he's going to do with it and this little lad looks up at him and says, who are you? And just the look of awe on that little boy's face yeah. was amazing and I kind of thought to myself, oh, I think I get it now. Yeah. That's what it's like to be able to do something that we take for granted which is look up and see a hero that's mm. just like you um, and I say okay now I think I understand this is what it means for people who haven't been able to do that yeah I mean there's there's loads of good stuff I'll share some articles after this like on our um, on our page that you can read into this like how culturally significant it is um, LeBron James at a press conference you know the basketballer the NBA star talks about how important this film is wasn't he raising money so that kids could go and see it in the cinema I don't know um, but he talks about how, how how significant this film is to him and members of like Pan-African communities and he hadn't even seen the film do you know what I mean so it's there's, there's something way more significant than the, than the narrative and I think that's what you need to, to catapult a film into like this stratosphere because you can't get it on a single fan base alone you need to create a tipping point where through word of mouth 
people start to fear missing out. The significance is no is not what did you think of the film? It was I saw the film. It's like have you seen it yet? I'm seeing it this afternoon and yeah, I saw it I saw it on the opening night, you know. I mean that's when you take a film from from down there to through the roof. And that's a joy to be a part of that, you know. We get it with Star Wars films. Um, occasionally it happens to, like, It, for instance. That was broke records for a horror film released at that time, that time of year for an R-rated film or an 18 film. And, and again, there was, there was something, something significant about that, but nowhere near this. This is one of the most culturally significant films of our lifetime, you know. It's, it's amazing to be a part of that. Thanks very much for listening. If you like the show, follow us on Facebook, write us a review on iTunes, or you follow us on Instagram or on Twitter, where uh, we're just basically retweeting interesting stuff, not even committing any kind of real effort to it. But, you know, are we? Okay, we're, we're committing loads of effort to it. So uh, come and join us. Come and join the fan. And we'll see you next time.